showcasing beloved favorites and forgotten gems, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network.
From Ramsgate in Kent, England, it's a very warm welcome once again to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network's Archive Show. I am your host, Jason Drury. Thank you very much again for joining us and lending your ears to my humble little show. It's a big hello as always to our listeners at cinematicsound.net and from wherever great podcast provider you are listening to us from. If you're listening to the programme through Apple Podcasts or iTunes or on your iPhone or whatever, please, if you can, take the time to rate and review the show. It, it really helps get the archive show noticed and introduces new listeners to the programme. As you may already know, we also now have a merchandise store, which you can buy an archive logo t-shirt or one which features any of your favourite cinematic sound Radio Network programs. I have three already. As well as hundreds of other items, including some limited edition apparel. To see the swag on offer, please go to T Public. The link is, as always, strategically placed on the web page. If you're listening to us for the first time, the archive is dedicated to new releases and new recordings of older scores from film and television. During each show, I'll also mine a vast film music archive with my very own Cinematic Sound Radio show to unearth beloved favourites and forgotten gems. Now this show is part one of episode 25, if you are keeping count that way. And if you are, have you got any trains you can go on spot? Later we will plough the depths for the second show running, some people say we always plough the depths, by featuring music from the classic underwater sci-fi series from Erwin Allen, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, featuring music from an episode composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Our Best of British segment today features a true cinematic great, in front of and behind the camera, Charlie Chaplin. And we will end part one with the end title suite from Alan Silvestri's score for the 1990 science fiction sequel Predator 2. Another in the series of features on the archive which deliberately makes the listener feel very, very old. Now we started the show with the cue This is Burke from the now classic 2010 computer animated adventure fantasy film How to Train Your Dragon. Loosely based on the 2003 book of his same name by Carissa Cowell, its memorable score by John Powell has recently been given the deluxe treatment from Barres Saraband Records. It features around 15 minutes of newly released material and also at the end a selection of very fascinating demos. The film was directed by Chris Saunders and Dean Dubois from a screenplay by Will Davis, Saunders and Dubois and features the voice cast of Jay Baruchel, Gerald Butler, Craig Ferguson, TJ Miller and Christine Wig. The story takes place in a mythical Viking world where a young Viking teenager named Hiccup aspires to follow his tribe's tradition and become a dragon slayer. After finally capturing his first dragon, a Night Fury, and with his chance at last of gaining the tribe's acceptance, he finds that he no longer wants to kill the dragon and instead befriends it. How to Train the Dragon would be composer John Powell's sixth collaboration with DreamWorks Animation. Powell has scored many of DreamWorks' 
previous films, but this was his first solo effort. He had previously collaborated with other composers such as Harry Gregson Williams and Hans Zimmer. Zimmer had long praised Powell's abilities and on many occasions asserted that he was the superior composer between them, thus firmly supporting Powell's first solo animation effort. Regarding his initial approach, Powell took the Viking milieu literally and started researching Scandinavian folk tunes and musical traditions which he says are wonderfully cold and warm at the same time. In the film, all the adults speak in a Scottish brogue, whereas the kids have American accents, which Powell saw as a subtle symbol of generational shifts. From this research, Powell utilised many Celtic influences by employing instruments such as bagpipes, fiddle, dulcimer, penny whistle and harpsichord to augment a large orchestra and choir. For the opening cue which opened today's show, Hiccup introduces us to his island, its inhabitants and its dragons. Powell, at the same time, introduces us to his many themes. Quote, It was a very difficult cue to write because you don't want to get in the way of the storytelling, which is all exposition at that point. So it's a technically tricky moment to be trying to land tunes. The opening cue was key, but it's not terribly well written for the scene. It requires the music and the sound effects to be pulled down so you can hear dialogue. In the reference book of how to write scores for the beginning of a movie like that, it's good in one way and it's bad in another way. It doesn't fit around what's going on. It just kind of hammers through it. But that was very clearly the only way to achieve what Chris and Dean were asking for. If you want tunes at the beginning of a movie, you have to basically ignore what's going on. Unquote. Now, some of you are already saying, hang on a minute. Have I heard a show recently that featured music from How to Train Your Dragon? And you would be right. Eric Woods gave the score the prestigious accolade of his favourite score of the last decade on a recent edition of his flagship show. To hear his extremely glowing praise of the score, which is about eight minutes long, and as always, it's a very good listen, please go to cinematicsound.net. But here on the archive, we are playing more music from the new deluxe edition album in an extended suite of the score, which will include a number of the newly released tracks. How to Train Your Dragon came out on March 26, 2010. It was received enthusiastically by critics and audiences alike, becoming the 10th highest grossing film of the year and spawning two popular sequels. The Power of John Powell score was affirmed by his peers when he was given his first Academy Award nomination. It remains a highlight of Powell's impressive career as he continually proves himself as being one of today's best melody writers and symphonic storytellers. So here now is more music from the 2010 computer animation classic How to Train Your Dragon, the original score composed by John Powell.
That was music from the 2010 animation classic How to Train Your Dragon. Original score composed by John Powell, the orchestra and choir conducted by Gavin Greenaway. The original soundtrack recording has just been released as a two CD deluxe edition set by Ferez Saraband Records. And in my opinion, it's one of the major archival releases of the year. This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Next up is... To the Bottom of the Sea, starring Richard Basehart, David Hedison, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, brought to you by The Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. It's music from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, the 1964-68 science fiction television series based on the 1961 film of the same name, both created by Erwin Allen. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea was the first of Erwin Allen's four classic science fiction television series. The three others, if you don't know, being Lost in Space, The Time Tunnel, and Land of the Giants. And the show was the longest running of the four. Voice was broadcast originally in the States on ABC from September the 14th, 1964 to March the 31st, 1968, and was the decade's longest running American science fiction television series. The 110 episodes produced included 32 shot in black and white and 78 filmed in color. The series starred Richard Basehart as Admiral Harriman Nelson, the designer, the designer and builder of the Sea View, a futuristic nuclear submarine, and David Hedison as Captain Lee Crane, who becomes the Sea View's captain after the murder of her original commanding officer. The submarine is based at the Nelson Institute of Marine Research in Santa Barbara, California and is often moored some 500 feet beneath the facility in a secret underground submarine pen carved out of solid rock. The Sea View is officially for undersea marine research and visits many exotic locations in the Seven Seas, but its secret mission is to defend the planet from all world and extraterrestrial threats in the then future of the 1970s. So in a way, it was a kind of sea quest? Now, musically, the series' main theme was written by Paul Sattel, who had previously scored the 1961 film of the same name with Bert Sheffer. Sattel's theme, as you have heard, was a vivid repeating effect for anvil, marimba and harp, used as a counterpoint for the sea view's distinctive ping effect. With the music descending from the sunlit ocean surface down into the depths with trumpets, then horn and double bass, finishing with a Debussyist string variation completing the creation of an underwater soundscape. The theme has become one of the most well-known and popular TV themes from the 60s even to this day. 
However, for season two, Alan wanted the music to be more discordant and percussive to emphasise the show's action, special effects and underwater menaces. To that end, Alan decided to change the main theme. Jerry Goldsmith was assigned to score the opening episode of season two and the first of the series broadcast in colour, Jonah and the Whale, was assigned to the task. Goldsmith came up with a new, darker, more serious composition compared to Sotel's, conjuring up a sense of dread with a three-note motif played in low brass after a slowly trading six-note progression for woodwinds, all ending with an unnerving pitch-bend effect for brass. For the episode itself, where an aggressive whale attacks the sea view and swallows its diving bell with Admiral Nelson and a Russian scientist on board, Goldsmith sets his stall out immediately with a spectacular brass variation of his new three-note motif of a whiling pheromone played over the episode's opening montage showing the sea view on the surface along with newspaper headlines about a dangerous whale being sighted in the vicinity. Then Goldsmith deploys a musical pun playing bell-like heavy chimes over footage of the diving bell being lowered into the ocean. Then he configures his six-note progression into a growing, terrifying variation as a theme for the whale. Goldsmith then weaves endless variations of these themes throughout the score, as well as some atmospheric scuba diving music for flute, the Hammond Solovox organ and percussion. Solovox effects are then used at the end of the episode, as the whale literally burps out the diving bell, with Goldsmith scoring this scene with a triumphant variation of his sea view theme as the whale departs, probably with a sour stomach and his paycheck. Now the score and the theme works really well for the episode, but for the theme itself it did not meet with Erwin Allen's approval. This may be your kind of music, but it's not mine, was his reaction to the theme when Goldsmith played it to him on the Fox scoring stage. The following episode reverted back to Sotel's theme, but Goldsmith's theme still appeared in several episode scores from other composers for the series. Featured on a new four-disc set from La La Land Records, as his three-note motif was easier to incorporate into action and suspense cues than Sotel's. Goldsmith also recorded a second more upbeat version of his theme, which appears in the collection too, but this was also rejected by Erwin Allen. And you may hear that theme on part two of this show in some form or another. So, here now is music from Jonah and the Whale, the season two premiere episode of the classic television sci-fi series Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, the original score and theme composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs>
music from Jonah and the Whale, the season 2 premiere episode of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Original score and theme composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith. This original recording is now part of a new four disc set of music from the series released by La La Land Records. And there will be more music from this set on the second part of this edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Unearthing the hidden treasures of film music's past, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. For this edition's Best of British section, we feature a composer who was a true pioneer in front and behind the camera, and also had the talent to create achingly beautiful music to accompany his work. The legend that is Charlie Chaplin. Chaplin developed a passion for music as a child and taught himself to play the piano, violin and cello. He considered the musical accompaniment of a film to be important and from the 1923 film A Woman of Paris onwards he took an increasing interest in this area. With the advent of sound technology Chaplin began using a synchronised orchestral soundtrack composed by himself for the film City Lights in 1931. He thereafter composed the scores for all of his films, and from the late 50s to his death, he scored all of his silent features and some of his short films. Now, as Chaplin was not a trained musician, he could not read sheet music and needed the help of professional composers such as David Raskin, Raymond Walsh, and Eric James when creating his scores. Musical directors were employed to oversee the recording process, such as Alfred Newman for City Lights. Although some critics have claimed that credit for his film music should have been given to the composers who worked with him, Raskin, who worked with Chaplin on Modern Times, stressed Chaplin's creative position and active participation in the composing process. This process, which could take months, would start with Chaplin describing to the composers exactly what he wanted and singing and playing tunes he had improvised on the piano. These tunes were then developed further in a close collaboration among the composers and Chaplin. 
According to film historian Jeffrey Vance, quote, although he relied on the associates to arrange a varied and complex instrumentation, the musical imperative is his, and not a note in a Chaplin musical score was placed there without his assent, unquote. Now sometimes Chaplin's music conflicts a little from what's on screen, particularly in cases when he scores a film that seemed very old to him, as he was attempting to supply music for it some 50 or 60 years after it was made. Some of his own films he didn't regard very highly, or simply didn't remember well, and the result is that some of his music is anachronistic or merely uncertain in its purpose. Even in such cases, on its own terms, Chaplin's film music was always excellent, rich in quotations of familiar tunes, ragtime figures and echoes of the English music hall music that were his musical heritage. Now today I'm going to play two examples of the music of Charlie Chaplin, both from a two-disc set released by Sewer Screen Records in 2006. Charlie Chaplin, the essential film music collection, is both a retrospective of Chaplin's own scores and those written by Carl Davis for, for earlier Mutual Film Corporation productions that Chaplin did not score because he couldn't secure the uncontested rights for them. Now the first score you hear composed by Chaplin is for a film celebrating his 80th anniversary this year. The Great Dictator from 1940. Having been the only Hollywood filmmaker to continue to make silent films well into the period of sound films, Chaplin made this his first true sound film. The film advanced a stirring condemnation of Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, fascism, anti-Semitism and the Nazis. At the time of its first release, the United States was still formally at peace with Nazi Germany and neutral during what were the early days of World War II. In the film, Chaplin plays both leading roles, a ruthless fascist dictator and a persecuted Jewish barber. So here now is music from the classic 1940 film The Great Dictator. Original score composed by Charles Chaplin and performed by the City of Prague Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Carl Davis.
That was a suite from The Great Dictator, with original music composed by Charles Chaplin and performed by the City of Prague Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Carl Davis. And now the orchestra, under the baton of Davis, will perform music from a film which celebrates its 100th anniversary next year. The Kid, from 1921, which featured Jackie Coogan as Chaplin's founding baby, adopted son and sidekick. This was Chaplin's first full-length feature as a director and was the second highest grossing film in 1921 behind The Four Horsemen 
of the Apocalypse. The score, composed by Chaplin in 1972, is some of the most melodic music you would have heard for a long time. And if you're not a fan of Chaplin's music already, this surely will clinch the deal. Incidentally, Craig Safan has recently rescored the kit, and you can go to the composer's website to compare his take with the suite you are about to hear. So here now is music from Charles Chaplin's score to the 1921 silent film The Kid, performed by the City of Prague Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Carl Davis.
That was a sweet from the 1921 silent film The Kit, preceded by music from the 1940 film The Great Dictator, with original music composed by Charles Chaplin and performed by the City of Prague Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Carl Davis. Both of these suites come from a 2006 release, Charlie Chaplin, The Essential Film Music Collection, which was released by Silver Screen Records. And maybe soon I will play some more music composed by Chaplin. Even maybe some of his original recordings. This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Now to finish part one of this edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, we have music from a sequel which this year celebrates its 30th anniversary. Predator 2, the 1990 science fiction action film written by brothers Jim and John Thomas, directed by Stephen Hopkins and starring Danny Glover, Rubin Blades, Gary Boosie, Maria Conchita Alonso, Bill Paxton and Kevin Peter Hall. Bill Paxton in this film completes the complete set of being killed on screen by the Terminator, the Alien and here the Predator. It is of course the sequel to the 1987 film that starred Arnold Schwarzenegger with Kevin Peter Hall reprising the title role of the Predator. Set 10 years after the events of the first film in Los Angeles, the film focuses on the Predator, a technologically advanced alien hunter, and the efforts of a disgruntled police officer and his allies to defeat the malevolent creature. Alan Silvestri made such an impact with his score for the original movie in 1987, returned the score for sequel. The generally militaristic attitude of the first score is replaced by a distinctive foreign sound with even more enhanced jungle aspects, which is an irony given the switch of vocals from the Central American jungle to urban Los Angeles. What links the two scores is Silvestri's action material. Themes from the first film are used effectively throughout the score, creating continuity in the music, as well as the return of Silvestri's now iconic Predator theme. Used fragmentally, in parts of the score, but gets its final full treatment in the end credits suite. Nine minutes of pure Silvestri brilliance, which rounds up all the important things of the score, and which personally I have lost count the many times I have played this on the original release and the expanded. And that's what we're going to play a few right now to end part one of this edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Here is Come So Close, Stroke End Credits from the 1990 sci-fi adventure sequel Predator 2, with original score composed and conducted by Alan Silvestri and performed by the Skywalker Symphony Orchestra. The deluxe edition of the original soundtrack recording was released, as was the original album by Verez Saraband records. I do hope you enjoyed the first part of this edition of the archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Part 2 will be with you very, very soon. 
But until then, from me, Jason Drury, is take care and happy listening.
Thank you for listening to the archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I would like to thank Tim Burden for providing his voice on the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the program, Derek Cosina for providing the archive's intro music, and Eric Woods for letting me loose on his station. If you have any comments, questions and concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sin Sound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to rate the show. I want a brief review. Reviews help present potential new listeners to the show. And while you're at it, head over to T Public to get an archived t-shirt. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net.